In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> I had to grab a bulletin because I missed something. I missed something in the collect. Father prayed this morning, O Lord, we beseech thee to keep thy church and household continually in thy true religion. It is appropriate, perhaps, today that we commemorate Saint Scholastica, who by her name is appropriate also because she is known for studying with her brother, Saint Benedict of Nursia. Saint Benedict, of course, the author of the Rule of Saint Benedict, after which our Western Orthodox monasteries observe his rule and order their day. It struck me as I was looking at the lessons for this week that we see the variety of audiences, perhaps, for which the Bible is written. We tend to think of the Bible as a book. Well, of course it's not. It's many, many writings compiled together by the church. By the church. And all of those writings are for slightly different audiences. And even within those writings, we hear, for example, Christ speaking differently to different groups of people. <coughs> so, for example, we have, even with the Gospels, we have the Gospel of St. Matthew, which is written for the Hebrews. Why? Because it starts out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and it points to uh, his, his sonship of David. On the other hand, we have the Gospel according to St. John, which is very high in its theology. That's why we refer to him as John the Theologian, because of these abstract concepts that, that he uses. In our three lessons today that we heard this morning, for those of you who are here in Matins, you heard kind of a very simple lesson, a list of do-nots. Lists of don'ts tend to be very simple. Don't do that. Then our epistle reading was a list of do's. Do this, do that. Those tend to be a little bit more complicated because often we have to ask, well, how do you want us to do that? There's often some question as to the methods perhaps we should use. And then our gospel today was a parable left for the reader to figure out. But we see throughout, not just scripture, but through the history of the church, us addressing different audiences and different levels of understanding. In the West, we have this artificial concept of the age of reason, right? So for example, I was baptized as an infant, but I was not confirmed in the Episcopal Church until I was nine years old, because suddenly, apparently at nine, I was of a certain age of reason, where I could make decisions on my own. What decisions a nine-year-old is supposed to make, I don't know. But in the Orthodox Church, we don't have that. We don't separate things out like that. We chrismate, we baptize, and we give communion all at the same time. Right? No one is less a member of the body of Christ simply because of their 
level of intellect, right? But it's very important for us, I think, as Orthodox to learn as much about our faith as we can, especially for two reasons. One is the meaning of the word Orthodox itself. What does Orthodox mean? It means right glory, right worship, right? So we always want to study and figure out what is correct and what is not correct. The second reason, I think, especially for those of us in the United States, and especially for those of us who have come to the church later in life, is because we're pretty rare. I saw two statistics published a few weeks ago. One was from Steve, the guy from Be The Be Videos, in which he tweeted that there are approximately 800,000 Orthodox Christians in the United States, of which about 200,000 go to church every Sunday or regularly attend. That same week, I saw a pastoral letter from Bishop Olson of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Fort Worth, which comprises, I believe, 28 counties in this area. It's here, Fort Worth and West. doesn't include Dallas. And he mentioned that just in those 28 counties, there are 1.1 million self-identified Catholics. So when we go someplace as an Orthodox Christian, we're pretty rare. Imagine if there are 1.1 million self-identified Catholics in this area, how many actual unchurched there are as well, and we, you can see that we have our work cut out for us in terms of the Great Commission. But as Orthodox, we always feel this need to explain ourselves, right? We call that apologetics. We call it an apology. Not that we're sorry for what we are, but it's an explanation of what we are. We make this apology. And, and so for us as Orthodox, when somebody says, well, what's that? Are, you mean you're not Catholic and you're not Protestant? Well, how can that be? Because there's only the two, right? Well, no. And we feel the need to explain. So we always are after learning more and more. And I will give you a cautionary tale. Sometimes in our quest for learning more and more, we perhaps forget the basics. There was a man and his wife, they, they basically, I forget what kind of trouble they got in. This was in a parish I attended many years ago. And they needed help. Now he was Orthodox, she wasn't. So he had actually converted, he knew of the rightness of orthodoxy, and had converted and become orthodox. But this couple ran into trouble and they needed help. His parish, as I recall, basically gave him the equivalent of, well, the Facebook treatment. Oh, warm thoughts and positive energies your way, and maybe they changed their profile picture. Right? Her church helped them. Helped them out of, the, out of the, the trouble that they were in. Which church do you think never saw him again? Why? 
because even though they had the rightness of everything else, they'd forgotten one thing. Without love, none of it matters. Love is the base from which we must build everything else that we know. Because all the knowledge and everything else, when we go and we teach the fifth graders, for example, about oh, monothelitism and things like that, you know, that means nothing if we haven't taught how to love. So what is the real meaning of the word orthodox? If it's right glory and if it's right worship, what it really means is we're trying to struggle to learn the right way to love. Every Sunday, and I return to this after Sunday after Sunday, I know. But every Sunday, the deacon stands up here, whether it's me or Deacon Ken. And we say the only two things we all, re all really just need to know. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we forget those, none of the rest of it means anything. We're in the middle right now of Epiphany Tide. Uh, I've already seen workshops being scheduled for Lent. I'm sure we'll have a Lenten series. There'll be plenty of opportunities for education coming up in the next couple of months. But there will also be opportunities for love. And that takes many forms, of course. One of those, for example, is the food for hungry people boxes that we give out. That's a form of love. It's a form of sacrificing for others. So when we go to Sunday school today, when we go to catechism class today, when we send our kids into Sunday school, let's not forget. Yes, it's wonderful to learn, but if we forget love, then why are we here? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.